Welcome back to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. I really do love hearing from listeners of this show. Email is great. Social media DMs are perfectly fine, too. But actually talking with you is ideal. I will have more on that coming up. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Los Angeles, my guest is a multi-platinum, two-time Grammy-nominated songwriter who will be honored next month at the 11th annual She Rocks Awards in California. She has written for and with the likes of The Pretenders, Keith Urban, Britney Spears, Brandy, Selena Gomez, Demi Lovato, Celine Dion, Michelle Branch, Natasha Benningfield, B.B. Rexa, and more. Her songs have appeared in hundreds of films and TV shows, including Glee, Orange is the New Black, 30 Rock, among others. She is also an educator and is a founding member of the Songwriters of North America, advocating for creators' rights. In addition, she is the author of a book titled Confessions of a Serial Songwriter. You've been hearing a version of a song she co-wrote that Christina Aguilera had a number one hit with called What a Girl Wants. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Shelley Pikin. Hello, Bruce. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. Thanks so much for making time to be on the show. Sure. Let's dive right into all of this, including having you talk about what a girl wants. Most everybody knows that song, but I'd love to hear not only who you wrote that with, but how that song came to be in the first place, where it came from. Yeah, you know, I have always just jotted things down as I think about them, titles, concepts, and I call it my like my arsenal and my toolbox. And at the time I wrote this song, which was the very late 90s, I was... Uh, Guy Roche, um, a fellow colleague, uh, was a go-to collaborator of mine, and we would just get together every week, a couple of days, and just jam. We didn't, we weren't thinking, who can we write for, or where can we pitch this? We just really enjoyed the dance, and this was one day that he was playing this vibey thing on the keyboard, and I went into my arsenal, and I found this little receipt. And it said, what a girl, I think it said, what a girl needs, actually, Bruce, which mm. is what the song title was. That's how we wrote it. And um, we just came out with this little ditty. I think we documented it on a cassette tape. I'm not sure a lot of your listeners might not even know what that <laughs> is anymore. And I went home that night and I played it for my husband. I said, honey, is this hooky? Is this my imagination? You know, I think this is really hooky. And that's where it started. I'm interested in that last part, though. You played it for your husband. I don't know who your husband is, so maybe you're going to tell me, well, he's a songwriter, or he's a musician, so he's a good judge of it. Because either way, I do wonder about a songwriter asking for a outside third-party opinion. Right. Obviously, whoever you co-write with is going to say, yeah, I think we've got something here. But to take it to an unbiased third party, now granted, someone like a husband is not going to be unbiased, but just talk about that. Right. Well, never ask your mother, because she will always love everything you do. <laughs> um, but, you know, I have a pretty unique relationship with my husband, and he is a musician. He um, has made a living doing film and TV score, and he's a pretty good songwriter as well. We could get into that a little bit later, what I'm doing with him now um, in the songwriting space. But we always told each other the truth. Mm. There were times I said, is this hooky? And he said, no. Okay. <laughs> so he, he was always a good barometer for me. And he was, never, he was never really that into pop music, especially mainstream stuff. 
And when I really try to focus on the moment, I think he was doing like a New York Times crossword puzzle. He was in the middle of it. He had his reading glasses on and it was almost, you know, I was almost bothering him. <laughs> and he looked out over his glasses and I pressed play and he looked at me and he goes, hooky. And then he went back to the puzzle, but that's all I needed. But, you know, I do like the fact that he is a musician because as much as he's an uninterested third party, meaning he wasn't one of the writers on the song, if you do have that honest relationship, you can say, listen, you're a musician. You're going to be able to be straightforward with me and tell me, is this hooky or not? Right. And so it's good to hear that you said that, yeah, there, in fact, are times when he'll go, eh, I don't think so. Right. Right. And you know what? He might not have been a writer on the song, but he surely reaped the benefits <laughs> over the years. We reap the benefits of each other's successes, yeah. you know? So he could have said, honey, that, that ain't cutting it. Move on, you know, write your next song. But yeah. it wasn't about the, the are we going to reap benefits? It was we, we've always supported each other's creative passions. And um, we always expected each other to tell each other the truth. So tell me this, when a songwriter completes either a solo write or a co-write, it doesn't matter, and an artist cuts it, but they do change it up from how it was originally, do you hear it for the first time in the radio and say, okay, hmm, wow, that's different, or do they tell you as they're recording it, hey, Shelley, just as a courtesy to let you know, we're kind of taking a little different direction melodically or whatever? Um, I would say a, a really good singer... Uh, somebody that sings better than I sing when I record a demo, although I didn't record this one, but it was a melodic map I might have given to our demo singer. Um, a really great singer like a Christina, you have to expect them to take certain liberties because they have so much more territory to explore with their vocal range than mm. I might have imagined when I wrote the song. And that's sort of a given, Bruce. If they're going to change words, I usually get that memo ahead of time from my publisher. In this case, like I said before, it started out as what a girl needs and turned into what a girl wants. That was a request from um, Ron Fair at the label who had signed Christina and was interested in the song. And when he wanted to cut it, he had called me and said, would you be open to putting the what a girl wants before the needs? I see. And I wanted to know why. I wanted to know the logic. And he said, because I think you've got the alliteration with the what's and the wants, number one. And he said, I just think that the wants is more urgent than the needs. Hmm. It's kind of sexier than the needs. And honestly, at the time, I thought, really? <laughs> and now I look back. And I don't know if I agree with him now because it went number one, and so he was right. <laughs> but I hear it. I hear why it makes more sense mm -hmm. with the wants before the needs. You know, it did mean that if I changed the order, I would have to sort of tweak the rhyme scheme, which I did. And um, I can't say I have any regrets, you know, because the rest is history. But, you know, I love that you still remember all those details. I'm a very detail-oriented person, so I love that you still remember all that. But mm -hmm. I think the other side of that is the fact that that shows a lot of respect that he had for you because I think some executives could say, just be happy that we're letting you know. We're changing it. I'm not giving you the choice. And so to not only have that conversation with you, but go ahead and give you the explanation of this is why we think it's better, I, I think that says a lot about yeah. the respect that you commanded, that he gave you, and that you obviously had built. So Ron was a songwriter himself and a musician himself. Um, so I think that he had that kind of respect for a colleague mm. in that way. Um, this was also in 2000, Bruce, where regard for the songwriter as artists, because we are, and I was, was different than it is now. Mm. And I'd, I'm not sure a writer today would get that same call. Indeed. I think that writers would just be more desperate right now or do anything to be on records and 
they wouldn't get the call, and if they did get the call, they probably wouldn't think twice about it. Well, that's right, because the person on the other end would probably say, just be thankful that the song is being cut. Don't tell us that you don't like the change. They might just make the change and never make the call to tell the writer. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move on. I want to say formally congratulations, Shelley. As I mentioned, next month in conjunction with the NAMM show in Anaheim, you will be honored at the 11th annual She Rocks Awards alongside Judy Collins and Noelle Skaggs. Yeah. Did you know you were a candidate? How and when were you notified? Have you written a speech for next month's event? Tell us all about this because, as I understand it, you've actually been a longtime attendee of the event. You know, I support this event and I support the Women's International Music Network. They're a very strong force. Uh, Bonnie and Laura specifically and everybody else that is a member and a wonderful um, organization that honors the uh, community of women who I believe because of the organization is just getting a lot more light shown on them. It's a fun evening. I see a lot of my friends there. I've been a presenter there before and Mm. that alone is an honor. Um, last year they honored, uh, Meredith Brooks got the trailblazer award for a song we co-wrote together, um, bitch, which was nominated for a Grammy in 98. And so I went to support her and, um, to celebrate my song. Um, and I'm just delighted that this year I'm going as an honoree. Um, I put in a couple of nominations myself and somebody must have nominated me on the other side and Mm. I was just delighted I wasn't I wasn't waiting to see you know so when I got that email I was like wow you know that's so cool a friend of mine sent me a screenshot of a letter I wrote to her 20 years ago first of all I couldn't believe we were writing letters you know (laughs) I mean it was a full page it was a full page and at the very end it was right before Bitch had come out, and I had said to her, you know, I, I wrote this new song with this new artist. The label said it's going to be huge. Who knows? I'm trying not to stare at it. And I said to her, you, I don't think we should stare at a kettle and wait for it to boil because water boils in so many other places. And I read that in this thing I sent to her 20 years ago. And I thought, I need to remember that. I need to live by that more often. Mm. Like not wait for things you think you're hoping would happen Mm -hmm. and just see what else happens. Yeah. And so as a result, all of a sudden, when this comes along, this notification that you're going to be one of the honorees at the She Rocks Awards, you say, that's wonderful news. It's nothing I expected, and I was busy with other projects, and I support what they're doing, and this is a really great message for me to get today. Right. Right. And especially to have that honor next to Judy Collins and Noelle Skaggs. I mean, I feel like I'm sandwiched in between the two of them as far as our era. You know, Judy is, I'm standing on her shoulders. I, she, she came before me. She was on my turntable when I was growing up as a kid. You know, I just can't believe I might get to stand next to her on a stage. And then Noelle certainly is in a generation after mine. And she's just, you know, following in her footsteps in other ways. I learned so much from, you know, I teach a class in songwriting and they're all college kids and I learn as much from the younger generation as they learn from me. Mm. So she's, you know, she's waving the flag for the future and I'm just so honored to be in the middle of, you know, that they are bookends and they're propping me up. Well, I want to go back and match your cassette reference by saying that when you said a watched pot never boils, it made me think back to the day when there was someone that I worked with who used to stand over the fax machine and he would look at me and he'd say, a watched fax never sends. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Oh, remember those fax machines. What a headache they were. So the same people in the audience who are going cassette are saying fax machine. (laughs) 
right. That's right. So speaking of current developments, you're presently working on two musicals? I am. And I would like to just speak of one because that is really on the front burner. Please. And the other is, it's funny, Bruce, the first one, the one on the front burner is a story that my close friend wrote. It's about her life. And I don't even want to, it's too soon to say what the title is and what it's about. But the interesting part of the story is for me, never thinking I would ever write a musical. And when you are a creative person, that you take that with you and you pivot with it. That's like the big word now after COVID. Yeah. It, it, you never retire your creativity. And when she asked me to do this, I said, Lucy, I do not do musicals. And then <laughs> I read the script and it spoke to me and I thought it was funny. And I started thinking of song titles and mm. I got my husband Adam involved because Adam has uh, produced a musical on Broadway before. And he is very well versed in how the music should flow with in a musical theater piece, what songs need to come where. And I thought maybe the three of us could do this together. So we made that decision about a year ago. We're 20 songs in. We had our first reading next week. We've got not a penny from anybody, and we're not getting paid. We're doing this because we believe that the project has legs. Mm. The other situation is where two Broadway producers hired Adam and I to write songs for an idea that they do not yet have a script for. So it's completely backwards. Mm. Wow. Not backwards in a bad way. It's just, you know, it in in the other in the first project we've got the script we're writing the songs in this one the songs are coming first and they're dictating the script and they're paying us to do it. Oh. So they're Two completely different ventures. Yeah. And I'm excited about both of them. And I realized when we started writing songs for this, I thought, um, oh, my God, I'm good at this. Who ever thought? Mm. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that because I've been writing pop songs for over three decades and Certainly, my experience in the pop songwriting room has certainly evolved, and my joy from it has changed, and I was certainly looking for the universe to reveal something else I could do Mm. that would bring me as much joy. So I tell you through that lens, rather than here's what it's about, and here's why you're going to like it, it's more through a creative lens and how that evolves and how if you find your joy from being creative, there's an endless road of pivots of where you could look. But I wonder though, is writing for a musical tremendously different from the songwriting that you've been doing for years? Or is it a case of, you know what, Bruce, you're going to be surprised. It's actually not too far a deviation the um i feel like i have my freedom back because i'm not writing thinking about an algorithm mm. this is more how i used to write we would just write anything mm-hmm. now it behooves you to write about anything but there's an algorithm out there that dictates to a large extent not completely, and there are exceptions, but really dictates to a large extent what is going to be streamed. If a streaming company has a lot of hits on a certain song, they're looking for the bones of that song again because that's what people listen to. So I have found that I'm back in the room where anything goes, In fact, the more outrageous, the better. Mm. And because the subject matter is so um, different than, oh, we're writing about love or a broken heart, there's a whole new vocabulary with which to draw and rhyme words. 
So it's really a lot of fun again. And I think in the, in the, in the musical theater world, there's not so much ageism. I mean, you could do this till you're 80. <laughs> and, you know, I often say when, when I started writing pop songs, I was 20. And everybody I was writing these songs was, was 20. And we all were going through the same things in our life. The dating, the hooking up, the, although we didn't call it hooking up back then, <laughs> the going to clubs, the meeting people. And so if I'm 40, 50, or 60, and getting in a room with a 20-year-old now, am I really that interested in what they are still doing? Mm -hmm. So as young people, they should have a chance at being young, and they should enjoy their youth and write about the things that are on their mind. I just have different things on my mind. So it sort of behooves me to move into a space where I could write about the things that matter to me and let them find people to write with who can help them articulate the things that matter to their generation. Um, having said that, you know, I got a call last week from a 29 year old who begged me to be in the room with them. Mm. Like, I love what you say. I love what you write, you know, come write with me. And I felt so loved that I did. And then there are young people who do not want to be in the room as somebody who's the same age as their mother. <laughs> so I don't wait for those calls anymore. If I get them and I have time that week, I'm happy to go. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I call it song sex, you know, and have song sex with somebody who, who desires me. But as for doing that every day, I just don't do that anymore. Well said, well said. And at the same time, it's still great to hear how much joy you have found in this new discovery that is writing for musicals. And in fact, it's refreshing for me to hear. I have not had too many opportunities to talk to someone who is doing that type of work. Folks, I'll put a couple of links on the show page for Shelley's episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking of episode 423, Vincent Connor. He did talk about doing some work in terms of musicals, so you can go back and listen to that one if you never heard it. And then another one is Peter Link, uh, which was episode 372. So I'll put links to both of those so you can go back and hear some additional insights from folks that are doing a little bit in terms of musicals. Wow. Shelley, let's circle back to What a Girl Wants, yeah. as well as the smash hit that Meredith Brooks had, as you mentioned earlier, titled Bitch. In Christina Aguilera's case, were you writing specifically for her? How did that song end up with her? And then you and Meredith Brooks actually co-wrote her song. Right, But right, how had right, you right. come to know her in the first place, that you were in a position to write that one with her? Well, in in What a Girl Wants, Guy and I, like I said, we were just getting together and having song sex. And then Guy's manager said, gee, I know Ron Fair, and he's working, he's doing a development deal with this X Mouseketeer, I'm going to send her the song. Uh. And I'm going to send him the song. And, and he really liked it, and the deal was going forward, and we changed the need and the want, yeah. and she recorded it. Wow. Luckily, it was following. It was a second single that followed my girlfriend Pam Shane's song, Genie in a Bottle, mm. and that song went number one. So not a bad place to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not a bad so place to be. You're getting released right after the momentum mm. of this other number one song. Wow. Um, but, but that was Guy and I, two outside songwriters, pitching a song to an artist to record. Mm -hmm. um, those days it was a little easier to do that. As time moved forward and, and digital streaming changed the way that everybody got paid, there are more and more artists that want to participate in the writing of a song for their record. But that's not what you asked me, and I don't think that that's why Meredith co-wrote on the song Bitch. I think Meredith was, well, I know she was a songwriter like I was, she was more in the lane of trying to get a record deal for herself. Mm. She had had a couple of other people record her songs and she really wanted to get a record deal. Uh. Um, and I know she had written with a lot of people in town and her manager at the time, Lori Levy, asked me to 
write with her. And so I wrote one song with her, Bruce, and I think that she and I would both agree it was sort of mediocre. It wasn't really great. Mm. And then I went to see her perform with her band. And there's something to be said for watching somebody in their element before you write with them. Like before I would write with a new artist making a record, I would go, if it were now, I'd go on their wiki page, I'd go on their Instagram, I'd Mm -hmm. try to get a picture of what was happening in their life, Mm -hmm. try to get a picture of them in motion, how they move, what they care about. So when I saw her at the Mint, I saw she was a badass player, she had really good lungs, she could really sing, Um, she was a strong woman role model. She wasn't all frilly and cute. She had strong opinions. And I left the showcase thinking, well, I'm glad I went. And about a week later, I was coming home from a session and I was in a really bad mood. I hadn't had a hit song. Mm. All these friends and colleagues around me were having hit songs. Um, I'm going to just be candid and say that PMS was involved Mm -hmm. in this feeling. And I remember stopping at a red light and I was smoking a cigarette because I did back then before I had a kid and I was blowing smoke out the window. And I just thought to myself, my poor boyfriend who I'm going home to, who I lived with at the time and he became my husband. We're still, still together. I thought to myself, He's going to have to deal with this mood that I'm in. And God, you know, God love him. I know I could be such a bitch sometimes. And then it hit me. I thought, wow, that would be a great idea for a song. Mm. Who could I write that with? And I thought of Meredith. And I got home and I said, girl, I called her. I said, you need to come over tomorrow. Like, cancel whatever you're doing. You need to come over. I know you're going to get this. Wow. And she came and, and I told her the idea. We had an acoustic guitar in a little room. There was no track. There was no rhythm. There was no drum machine. It was just her line, my line, her line, my line. Mm. You know, all my friends say, Shelly, I know you. You, I know you wrote that song by yourself. I did not. Mm. It was the two of us doing the dance, having amazing song sex. And we wrote the whole song in a couple of hours in that little room. And she just had this great feeling about it. I did too, but I had been disappointed so much that she was just, there's no way this is going to fail. She went out and she demoed the song and she and Lori took it to, I think it was Perry Watts Russell. I think Meredith was, had a development deal at the time with, it was a different record label and they heard the song and they passed. Wow. And I, I think if they had passed on one more song, she was allowed in Interscope, I think it was, she was allowed to take it elsewhere. Mm. And she and Lori took it to Capitol and Perry Watts Russell signed it. And <laughs> Meredith kept saying, it's going to be a huge hit. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So who's going to play that? You know, who's going to, who's going to get that on the air? Wow. Cause it was an ex, it was, there was an expletive. So yeah. we didn't think they, you know. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Well, let me jump in here because there was a valuable, valuable lesson in their audience, especially those of you who are aspiring performers, aspiring songwriters that Shelley gave out that I hope you didn't miss, which was her doing the homework on the person that she was about to write with. She said that she went to Meredith's showcase. So if you just jump on Instagram and you look at someone's pictures very surface, oh, they went skiing in Denver. Yeah, I've gone there too. Then you're missing out on really getting to know who that person is as a writer, who that person is as an artist. And you're going to be so much further ahead when you get in the writing room with them as opposed to showing up and you are absolutely meeting for the very first time and you know nothing about this person. And I'm not talking about we both went skiing in Vail, Colorado. I'm talking about who they are, what makes them tick, where their head is at, what they respond to musically. And so, Shelly, really, really good insight that you gave out there. I want to talk to you about all the film and TV placement that I mentioned back in the intro that you've had. My guess, my guess 
is that it has probably changed over the years, but is someone, say a music supervisor, imagine, I imagine coming to you and saying, we need a song or we need three songs for this show or this film, and you're starting with a blank canvas, or are they just going through your catalog and picking songs you had already written and saying, hey, this song here that you wrote five years ago would be perfect for a show we're working on right now? Well, it depends if the song was a hit or not. It depends if the song is out there. I mean, Bitch became like this cultural, relevant female anthem, you know? And it's just, when it came out, it was just going to get synced over and over again. Nobody had to... If they wanted that song, they were going to sync that song and they were going to send a request to my publisher and they were going to pay whatever that song cost. Mm -hmm. Um, There were times, you know, I've been doing this for so long, Bruce, and I'm very careful when I say to newcomers, when I explain to them how it used to happen, I make sure that they understand it doesn't happen that way anymore. Mm. It does with hits. If a music supervisor, if a director, a film director, an editor wants that hit song, it does happen that way. They will go after it. They will pay what they need to pay. Um, Sometimes if it's too expensive, they will do a re-record and pay a significantly lower price for uh, a new master that isn't the record. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were situations where a director would come to me or the music supervisor would come to me and say, here's the opening scene of this movie. Like they did with, um, I think it was called music of the heart with Meryl street. And there was this beautiful opening scene where she's going through a photo album and looking at pictures of her family and her husband who had recently left her. And I went back to Guy, who I wrote what a girl wants with. And we wrote this song called turn the page and they loved it. And it went in. Mm. I just don't think it happens like that anymore. There are so many more, tens of thousands of more songwriters in the songwriting space. Mm. And it's just really easy for a music supervisor to go to YouTube or go to Instagram and search the hashtags of songs they're looking for, Mm. find new artists who would absolutely give a music supervisor a song they wrote for a thousand dollars instead of the forty thousand dollars we used to get to have our song in in the in a film Mm. and that young person might not be foolish for giving the song away because maybe that music supervisor is going to come back to them when they have a movie with a larger budget but that's where they're going Mm -hmm. um i guess some of them will go to publishers especially ad campaigns um, that want to um, license a uh, pretender song, a Bruce Springsteen song, which they now can do. Mm-hmm. If you notice, so many people sold their catalog that now we're yeah. hearing Fleetwood Mac yeah. songs. We're hearing Neil Young songs. We're hearing Bruce Springsteen songs and yeah. commercials. But um, I would say for the sync fees, we used to, we used to get twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 for those just don't exist anymore unless it's a really big hit mm. or unless it's a huge, you know, a Chevy commercial campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say to young people, if you're, if you're making demos or recording videos and you're putting them on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, just really hashtag them correctly and broadly so they can be discovered. I love it. I love it. Great advice. Great advice. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Los Angeles by songwriter Shelley Pikin. Visit her official website at ShellyPikin.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Once you land on her website, look for links for Shelly's music on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. In the second half of this episode, we are going to be talking about an album of original music that she put out two and a half years ago. We're also going to talk about her book, which you will find in the store section of her website. Engage with Shelly on social media. On her website, you will see links for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. In fact, her Facebook, unfortunately, was recently hacked, which I know about courtesy of a blog post I read on her website. So do look for her blog post that she puts up on ShellyPikin.com as well. 
By the way, if you're interested in attending the special event next month in Anaheim where Shelly will be honored, go online to SheRocksAwards.com to get ticket information. You have heard about some of the different connections Shelly has made and are probably saying, I wish I could make connections a lot easier, a lot better than I have been. If so, that tells me that you have not yet tried the OWL app. I'll say it again. They are not a sponsor. They're not paying me to talk about them. I just like bringing them up because I want you to be able to make new connections just like I have been with people who have been calling me on the OWL app. Yes, I'm active on LinkedIn, but OWL is immediate. There's no waiting for someone to accept your connection request or hoping that they'll respond to your direct message with OWL. And by the way, that's O-W-W-L-L. You call someone who you want to meet, but there's still the privacy of not having to give out your number. I fear I might be making this sound complicated, and it's not, so go check it out. It's free to download on my podcast website, nhte.net. Tap or click anywhere that says home, or just head directly to nowhearthis.net. That's H-E-A-R, of course. Either way, you want to dive into the article that I posted called Help Now a Phone um, App Call Away. And in that, you'll find not only links to get OWL from the App Store or Google Play, but the invitation code in there that you'll need because it's a required field as you're setting it up on your phone. Get on there. Give me a call. Let's chat. Shelly, this is really cool. I mentioned in there, as well as back in the intro, that you wrote a book, which is called Confessions of a Serial Songwriter. Yes. I'd love for you to share with the audience about that, but also the fact that there was a Grammy nomination that coincided with it. Yeah, yeah. That was a very exciting time. And I had been going through, you know, I was getting older. I was older than the kids in the writing rooms. And there were so many more people and songwriters in the space because technology made it possible for you to be a quote-unquote songwriter, even if you weren't necessarily a musician. If you could program and produce songs, you were becoming songwriters. And uh. it was getting very competitive. And digital delivery had taken over, as well as digital royalties and I started seeing seeing my statements go down. And when I compared this to my friends, it wasn't just me. Mm. You know, a lot of people's phones weren't ringing as much because there were so many more people in the space and mm. their statements were going down and just dwindling. And I just got into a really bad funk. And I thought, you know, what am I if I'm not a songwriter? I'm relatively young. I've got way more of my life to live. And what do I do? Wow. So um, I started jotting down my thoughts, and I went out one night with a friend of mine, Allie Willis, who's a legendary songwriter in the business. She passed a couple of years ago. Um, her her poster's still on my wall. She's my, mu- my muse. Mm. She wrote Boogie Wonderland and September and mm. Lead Me On, just amazing songs. And I went out with her one day, and I was just in such a, you know, such a funk, and she said, girl you're just in this place called the gap where nothing is going on. But the thing is you're so fertile, which is the great place to be because anything can happen when you're in the gap. And I thought, you know, I've been thinking about writing the book, this book. And she said, you need to write that book. Mm. So I had gone to that dinner that night, so depressed and left the happiest person in the world. And I, went home and I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write it. I'm going to finish it. I'm going to tell my story. And when I finished it, I found somebody to distribute it and publish it. And then I thought, well, let me do an audio book and let me submit it to the, uh, the Grammys for a spoken word. I mean, why not? It's all about the music business. The Grammys about are about the music business mm. and, I knew I had stiff competition from from politicians and scientists and actresses, but my narrative was, you need to consider me because I am a songwriter. So um, I think the universe heard me because it, I, the book got nominated with Carrie Fisher, Bruce Springsteen, Neil deGrasse Tyson, mm. and Bernie Sanders. Wow. So... I felt like I am in super company 
And that's a win for me, even if I don't win the Grammy and I didn't win the Grammy. But you know what? Honestly, Bruce, I'm so sick of hearing people go, I was nominated, but I didn't win. I'm sorry. Get over it. A nomination is an honor. It's a win. And when I speak about it, I feel like it was a win. I don't feel like, oh, I didn't, you know, I lost. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Think of the long, 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 long line of people who don't even get as far as for your consideration that would love to be nominated. It's kind of like when I hear sports fans get so, so upset about their team getting knocked out of the playoffs or losing the Super Bowl. And I say, there are tons of teams that would have loved to have gotten that far. So don't bemoan the fact that you didn't come out as the winner. Exactly. Exactly. And that the universe saw me after I had gone through this journey of, what should I do? You know, how do I re rebirth myself? You know, it was a sign. It was saying to me, exactly, girl, that's what you're supposed to do. And now what are you going to do? Yeah. And now what are you going to do? Yeah, it's a you great know? comeback story because I'm picturing you walking into that dinner being depressed and being down and just, okay, I'm going to go meet her for dinner. And all of a sudden you walk out so happy. And who would have known yes. <laughs> walking out of the restaurant that night that not only would you write a book, but you do an audio version of it that gets nominated for a Grammy. That's a tremendous right. comeback story, in my really? opinion. I almost canceled the dinner. I was in such a bad mood. Mm. And wow. I said, just go, just go. It's Allie, just go. Wow. You know? she, was a, she was a force to be reckoned with, Allie Willis. Mm. When I was giving out your website and other online destinations, I had also mentioned that you put out an album of your own in August 2020. Mm-hmm. Share with the audience all about that project. You know, that was that was another little detour that that I wanted to take. I just thought, well, what if what if I reach the end of my life and I never make my own record? How I I love the versions of my songs that artists have recorded. My version of Human that Chrissy Hine recorded. I love Meredith's version of Bitch and Christina doing What a Girl Wants. I just thought I sort of want to put my own spin on those songs. I want to leave something behind that that documents that I can put my voice behind these songs too. So I worked for about a year on it with my friend Eve Nelson, who produced most of it. And um, a couple songs with Bill Thornally in the UK and one song with my friend Wally Gagel. Sadly, uh, we dropped the album like two weeks before the country shut down. Mm. And I'm not saying this as a woe is me story because somebody's got to make a movie called and then COVID dot 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 (laughs) because everybody everybody was screwed over you know everybody lost something and I went online and I did a couple of of concerts from my living room and I did what I could to promote it but I just thought you know what I gotta leave it alone who knows what I'm gonna be it's Doing something through a through a laptop screen is just not the same as going to a club, even if you have 20 people and feeling human energy in the room. And I just didn't feel like I wanted to promote it that way. So I left well enough alone. I did it. It's living out there. If anybody wants to hear me sing some of my own hits, and then some because I recorded some songs that had never gotten recorded before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there, and I'm proud of it. But it was just too soul-sucking trying to promote an album and perform through a screen and mm. see who was applauding with emojis and sending me hearts. <laughs> I just I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, but no regrets. You know, no regrets. It got my chops better. You know, I learned how to play guitar better. And my husband and I formed a little group called the Clams and put a a set together um, from 70s music, revolutionary songs. There was a political unrest going on before the election. And we sang from my driveway and my neighbors came and set up tables. And it was a beautiful resurgence for me as a musician. So no regrets. 
Yeah, and you'll never have to look back and say, what if, because you did do it. So sure. just like the book and the audio book, you now have this album with your name on it. I'm told that you continue to write every day. I, I have no reason to doubt it, so I'm not going to say, is that true? But instead, what does that look like for you? Meaning, do you write on guitar, on piano? Is it at the same time every day? Is it for a certain length of time? Do you always sit in the same place? Paint that picture for us. Yeah, you know, I'll tell my students to write every day, to make a time and get there and do it. I'm so busy with the musical, and then I teach a college class. I write my blog. Um, that I just don't have the time to sit down every day for a certain amount of time. But I keep in my notes app on my phone every little thought that I think could become a song. I wrote one last week. I was in New York. I was running in the park and it came to me and I mm. said, girl, stop and put a voice memo down. <laughs> I brought it back to Los Angeles. I got, I, I wrote about 80% of it and now it's gestating and I will continue. Um, so I do write every day, but I think it's important to, when I write my blog every day, I plan my class curriculum. It's all part of the creative process. I am going through a hellacious experience with this hacking on Facebook. And I share a lot and I have written every day and posted something from to inspire my followers almost every day for the mm. last 10 years. Wow. And somebody just came in and took it over <sighs> and I'm locked out. So and it's week three, so I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but I'm going to say it on the air because by the time this comes out, it's possible I won't even have it back. And if somebody knows somebody in there that could help me out, I welcome it because talk about soul-sucking for to be represented by all these wacky videos that the hacker is posting every two hours and have my name and face on it is just infuriating. Yeah. But... My blog is someplace else. I do a weekly blog, and I send that out to my subscribers. And I don't know how many people actually click. Actually, I could find out, but I don't like to look <laughs> at it. And, you know, once in a while, I'd say once a week, I get an email back from a reader, just a beautiful email that raises me up. Somebody saying, I live for your blogs. There's so much I can't expletive content that, that trashes my email queue and they say, I just, I love what you write. And that just makes my day, Bruce. You know, sometimes I go, are, is anybody really reading this? And, and they are, you know, they might, they might not comment on it or they might not tell me, but they are. I've got about yep. 5,000 subscribers mm. and that's all, you know, unique followers and people that um, come back and, and read what I'm writing. So I used to take that blog and post it on my Facebook page and that got a lot of engagement, which I cannot do now. But I just keep thinking you read my blog about the hacking. It's got to be for some reason, That's you know, right. and it will be revealed and everything happens for a reason. So, yeah. And unfortunately we're hearing more and more stories of people having problems with Mark Zuckerberg's toy. Mm -hmm. Last week on this show, Tierney Allen, she has been portraying Lady Gaga for 13 years. In fact, she was a headliner in Las Vegas. And folks, if you heard that last week, episode 475, Tierney Allen said that her Facebook page was taken down because it's kind of one of those bordering on you're impersonating someone else. And the case here is, yes, this is what I do professionally. I perform in Las Vegas on, in a show on the strip mm -hmm. as Lady Gaga. This isn't I'm trying to steal someone else's identity. So right. there's a lot of issues out there, and it's why you can't put all your eggs in the basket of any one particular social right. media platform. I'll, I'll, right. I'll give Facebook a little slack in this case and say, yeah. as strange as it sounds that one day it might go away, you just never know what's going to happen. Podcasts used to be available on Facebook. They're not anymore. Shelly and I remember the days of MySpace. That's not around anymore. There was a platform called Blab at one point that got real popular really fast, and the people who ran that just woke up one day and decided they didn't want to do it anymore, and they put up a message that said, this has been great, but we don't want to do it anymore. So you just have to be right. aware, and you have to make yourself available on a number of different places because... 
a couple weeks ago, I talked about it with Fred Mullen, and he said a year from now, TikTok may not even be a thing anymore because of the government wanting mm-hmm. to, to get away from that. So let me get off That's my soapbox right. here. Let me move on. Shelly, I mentioned okay. back in the intro that you were a founding member of the Songwriters of North America. In fact, you're on their board. I know that Sona was instrumental in getting the Music Modernization Act passed. Can you just tell us more about that organization? Are, are they a volunteer organization? Is there a staff in terms of advocating on behalf of songwriters? Like, What is a specific example or two of the ongoing work that Sona continues to do in that regard? Right. Well, Sona started with four women. We used to call ourselves the Fempire. And we all saw that our statements were dwindling and we started gabbing about it. We went to see Dina LaPolt and she helped us galvanize. Um, we reached out to our community, made it, made sure it became diverse and it grew and there were men and women and all genders. Um, I can't even think of all the genders that there are now, but we got everybody. So um, we before COVID and when we we first started about eight years ago, we would just get on a plane and go to Washington, D.C. and uh, go and meet with Congress people and senators and explain to them what the situation was, that our royalty streams were hijacked by digital delivery streaming. Um, And the, the fun part of it was that they heard the words and they heard the complaint, but when I walked in with my guitar and played them a song, that they loved or a song that was a favorite song of their wife. The song has more power than the words. Mm. And I wasn't the only one that was doing that, but they started listening to us and we uh, became a voice at the table. Wow. And we were very instrumental in getting that music modernization act passed and very instrumental in getting the, the mechanical licensing collective off the ground as well. Um, we realized that we had a lot of allies back then in our PROs and our publishers, but there was no organization that was completely aligned with our interest as songwriters. Uh. And there needed to be an organization that would be friends with everybody else, but just spoke completely and a hundred percent on our own behalf. Okay. And, um, it, it really worked. Um, I was on the board for eight years. I just stepped down uh, a couple of months ago because uh, I feel that eight years is, is a long time. It, it's, it's a volunteer situation. Um, and younger people now have to step up and help themselves. It's very hard to get the younger people motivated because they haven't lived in a time where it was any different and they were making more money. Mm. I see that, you know, so it was always easy for me to fight for that, but they have to realize there's something to fight for and that we fought for them for almost 10 years. And now they have to come and roll up their sleeves and join the movement. And I feel like me leaving left some space for them to come on board and that will happen with more of us, I believe. But um, Sona has just been such a productive part of my world. It also takes up a lot of time, and I wanted to get back to writing a song now and then and Mm. writing my musical and other things that just really take up time. So I thought it was a good time to transition. But at the same time, you've done a great job of describing what that organization does because you do tend to think of... ASCAP, you tend to think of BMI, you tend to think of CSAC, and you go, well, wait a minute, because they are there for the interests of their members. They are there for, in some cases, artists who are not songwriters. You think of an organization like NSAI, and NSAI is not only there for their members, but they're very much education-based. So who is actually going to Washington and looking out for the songwriters? And yes, there are people under the Recording Academy umbrella, but it can't just be one organization. And so Sona is doing tremendous work on behalf of the songwriters. As we get ready to wind things down, Shelly, let's have a little fun and talk about what might be considered your professional bucket list, meaning is there a particular artist that you've always dreamed of getting a cut with or maybe a writer who you would just love to do a co-write with and or maybe even a particular project you're still hoping to one day get a crack at, meaning, say, a specific TV show or perhaps a filmmaker who you'd love to get a song placed with. Any of those come to mind? 
Yeah, I would say the two things right now are getting this musical off the ground. I think it has legs, finding some um, investors and start workshopping it. And that would really give me a thrill. The other thing on a more personal note is I grew up with Carly Simon as my hero. I don't think I would be a songwriter if not for her, Mm. her songs really, you know, guided me in how to write and express, how to write about being a woman, how to express myself. She's getting older. I know she lives in the vineyard and I have been thinking, I know she's had a lot of losses in her life recently as well. I've been thinking of getting there, getting to the vineyard and reaching out and just saying, Carly, will you take a walk with me? Will you sit on the bench with me and have, mm. a, have a cup of coffee? Will you give me the opportunity to thank you and to hug you? I'm not stalking you. Um, <laughs> I wrote a chapter about her in my book, and somebody gave her a copy of that book, uh. and she emailed me after that. You know, I had been in an elevator with her once, and I didn't say anything because I was so nervous. and. Mm. I wrote about that in the book and she got my email and she sent me an email after the book was published. And she said, if we're ever in an elevator together again, make some noise. (laughs) So that makes me feel like she might want to, she might welcome the visit. And, um, that's my fantasy. Wow. Wow. That's nice. That's nice. What a great story. We're going to close today with a really touching song. Shelly wrote called notebook. Before I let you go and I play that track, Shelley, share with the audience all about this one, if you would, please. Yeah, this is a song I wrote by myself. It's about this diary I kept since the day my daughter was born. And every time she made a move or took a step, I would write it down and tell her how much I loved her. And, you know, the world is so crazy. I I, I, I think one day I'm going to be gone, but the book will still be here. And I want her to know about it. And I want her to be able to go and read it and feel me through those pages. Wonderful, wonderful. Shelly, so great to have you on the show. Thank you for making time to be on Now Here This Entertainment. And again, congratulations on being honored next Thank month you. for the She Rocks Awards. Thanks for having me, Bruce. It's been a pleasure. Likewise, likewise. And folks, with that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Here This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to songwriter Shelly Pikin. Do visit her official website at shellypikin.com. Again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Once you land on Shelley's website, be sure to look for the music page to access her original music, including links to platforms such as Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Don't forget to look, too, for the store section of her website where you can purchase a signed copy of her book, Confessions of a Serial Songwriter, a signed copy of her CD, or both. And of course, engage with Shelly on social media. Look for the logos on her website for Facebook, maybe, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. <laughs> and for that matter, tell Shelly that you heard her and her music on Now Hear This Entertainment. Another reminder that if you're interested in attending the event next month in Anaheim where Shelly will be honored, go online to SheRocksAwards.com for ticket information. If you like Now Hear This Entertainment, this episode, others before it, every episode, Feel free to let me know as much by way of a here you go, thanks for what you do, Bruce, by going to my podcast website, nhte.net, and then utilizing the yellow logo there that says buy me a coffee. It's not a sponsor. It's not affiliated with a chain or a brand. You hear a lot of indie artists at their gigs these days giving out their Venmo, their PayPal, their Cash App. Well, this is a fun way for you to let me know you like what I do through this podcast. Check out my buy me a coffee option. Put a note on there with it and know that I am grateful for your support of this podcast. That's going to do it for episode 476. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Shelly Pikin. This is the one she just talked about. It's called Notebook. My daughter keeps on dreaming that I'm dying. Nothing could be further from the truth. I tell her not to worry. I'm gonna do But we all know that crazy things can happen Hopefully they won't happen to us But baby, just in case Wherever it is
Nothing could be further from the truth. 